Akwaba, welcome to Titular Talks. This is a platform where I, Titular, have conversations with people from different walks of life who share their thoughts and pass their story thus far. I hope you enjoy. So, welcome to episode 10 of Titular Talks. Today's guest is Paul Hollingworth, aka Pastor Paul, aka PSP. Yes, come on. Welcome to the show, Mr. Paul Hollingworth. Thank you. Welcome to my show. Wow, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good, good, busy days, but it's all good. Good to have you. It's all good. So my first question to you is, what was your upbringing? So what was my upbringing? Wow, straight into the deep end there, eh? Of course, the only way. So, well, you'd know me as Paul, for a start. Um, right. Married Sarah. Before um, that, before, before we get that, to marriage, you how, was, to get... how was Paul Hollingworth as a kid? As, oh, okay, so you just want to as know a little boy. straight in from the start, that's good. Um, so I remember my child, I'm a Chesterfield boy through and through. So Chesterfield, I've never, other than holiday, vacation, never left Chesterfield. It's, wow. it's who I am. It's Loyalty. in here. It is. Uh, I do believe in this place, but anyway, that's another story. Um, so growing up, I lived uh, in a few different places, mainly in Ashgate, Tapton, Tapton areas. Mm-hmm. But growing up, I remember one of my first things I remember was my mum uh, at the age of five years old, I remember my mum being diagnosed with cancer, wow. which was quite a biggie. Um, as a young little boy, uh, my mum had to go in and have serious surgery. I'll leave it at that. She had to have serious surgery, life-threatening surgery. Um, so, How did the family deal with that? How did the family deal with it? It's pretty vague, I think, really, from, from my memories. Like most people, when you reflect back on your younger years, you remember the key moments, but I don't really remember how my dad, my mum and dad both at home got a sister, um, got a brother as well. So I've got an older brother. Okay. He's 10 years older than me and an older sister. She's two or three years older than me, I think, at the last count. Um, but you don't really remember what's happening. You just remember the intensity of it. Right. I remember visiting hospital with my dad. Um, and my dad talking to me on the way to the hospital, kind of preparing me for what, for what was going to happen. Um, but other than that, I don't remember too much. I've now, obviously, I speak to my dad regularly. We've had a few interesting conversations about how my dad handled it at the time. Okay, that's interesting. Um, which is, for anybody that goes through stuff like that, really does give you an insight into what it's like to go um, headlong into a real critical period of time, life-threatening time. Uh, Some of his emotions that he shared with me, which obviously very personal to him, but full of worry, um, but at the same time as well, full of questions, but and kind of like trying to trust as well at the same time. Yeah, and I'm guessing obviously he had children and he had to look after them, make sure that they didn't feel too worried for their mother. Yeah. And also be feeling worried for her at the same time. Which which then takes you on to thinking, wow, massive respect for single... I have a huge respect for single parents um, because my dad at that time obviously did everything just to look after us guys. And, right. um, but yeah, that was a, it was a weird weird phase of life really because it did, it did affect me, I think, more than what I've, I've ever realised. How so? I think when you spend time with somebody that's going through a challenge like my mum was, and then the repercussions of that. So it's not just that that time where she had the operation, she was in hospital, not well. It was the 
uh, monthly, six monthly annual visits to the hospital where she'd have to go for regular checks. Right. Um, and every time it was like the same process. And I think what it does with you, it actually, for those people around the individuals, so obviously the, my mum was the affected party, but for everybody else, I think for me, it left me with like this stain. I could only call it a stain, like a big dirty stain on a shirt. And it was called fear. Um, and I, I remember, I remember going to bed at night times. I remember going to the bathroom. Those moments that every young boy does. Right. When you go to the bathroom and it's dark and you shout your parents or you shout one more dad downstairs and you try and act big and macho, but actually <laughs> you're a little bit frightened of what's going on in the dark. But anything like that, just fear, just like this. I would lay in bed as a young lad, eight, nine, ten years old. I remember laying in bed thinking what it would be like to die and actually almost sending myself to sleep with these horrible thoughts really about death wow. and so what was longevity your of life. On death as a little five-year-old boy? Uh, well, probably as I got older, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I remember being at primary school thinking about it and... It, w- it just brought utter fear into me, really. Because you were scared of dying or you So, like, dying I didn't or... enjoy particularly going to bed at night time because I would lay thinking about this this death thing. And I actually, I actually think, I mean, I know you've got a lot of viewers, a lot of people watch these episodes, but I actually think it's a topic that probably would ring a bell with most people, that we all have moments where when something's failing in our bodies or we have an illness, right. it goes through your mind, maybe some more than others. But it's a topic I think that people never speak about. We kind of push it under the carpet. Why do you think people do that? Um, I would say in general, it's easier not to think about death because it's not really like a happy topic, is it? I mean, yeah. I can't see everybody liking the video at this moment now going, wow, this is amazing. I love talking about death. Right. It's just not something people want to talk about. But it is something that we need to get to grips with because otherwise I, I feel it can ruin people because it just fills you with fear. Fear is horrible. And when people struggle with fear, I, I just, I really feel for them because it's, it's terrible, terrible. Gosh, we'll definitely come back on to fear. So I told you it'd be jumping at the deep end. I wasn't, yeah, I was... that's what we're here for. So obviously, so you grew up and so what was the situation with your mom's cancer? Did she get better? Well, she's still alive to this day, which is 41 years later. Right. Um, she's just gone through cancer for a second time, if you wow. want to go really in the deep end. So she's just gone, That's just uh, she'd been diagnosed over a year ago with leukemia, um, but she's took that on just the same. Uh, so my mum is still alive and kicking, and we keep speaking to her. Uh, she's going to get She's gonna get there to 100, for Come sure, on. for sure. So it's amazing, amazing what can be done, what, what can be done. Wow. Yeah. So you're growing up through your childhood, you got to your teen years. How was school, secondary school like? School, secondary school. So I was like, I have to apologize for the way I look now. You have to, if you could imagine, I had thick, black, dark hair, thick, and it was like you couldn't style it in the morning. It was just a, you it find was a bed. Sir, to put, put one up. It was bedhead, like just constant, like wake up, I try and. Fl- uh, I'd wash my hair, get it flattened up. It's just so thick. I just couldn't do anything with it. Um, I was a chubby kid. Um, everybody, you know, the old people come up to you and pull your cheeks. Wow. And still to this day, some people still do that, even though I'm 45. Gosh. Um, so I was like a little chubby, cute kid, wore glasses. Um, and at school, I think, 
I think it's horrible, but people judge you for the way you look. Um, we weren't a well-off family. We weren't poor, working-class family. So I'd always be presented well, but I guess just my appearance, people would, you know, I had the nickname Goggles. Right. Like, I was Goggles all my life, and to this day, some of my passwords uh, are connected <laughs> to that. Um, so, yeah, so so like a little bit of teasing kind of stuff. But I was a quiet kid, got on my, got on my work, I went to a secondary school for two years in Chesterfield. Um, and then in year nine, you got the option to go to either a boys', boys school or a girls' school in Chesterfield, okay. which is now Brookfield. It was called Chesterfield Boys' School. And I went there, and I have to say, my A grades quickly disappeared. Um, right. Why just is that? purely because the, the, culture, the culture was football. Um, the culture was football, fighting, and generally just larking around. So attention to detail of work, which now you look back on and think, gosh, if I'd have done that, yeah, um, I would have knuckled down a little bit more. But I have to say, there were really good days as well. I was, ne I was never like the unruly one in the class, but I did enjoy the band. The banter in the class was great. Some of the teachers... Even to this day, I still feel sorry for some of the things that I won't. <laughs> said. Some of the stories that I won't be bringing out now, but um, like it just it was fun, and I think I think some of that I always want that for my kids as well, um, which I know is jumping ahead a little bit. But my own kids, I kind of want them to enjoy the stuff that they do as opposed to just endure it. Right. And I wonder whether sometimes that gets a little bit lost. But I I enjoyed school really, apart from some of the work. Um, never keen on exams such like do you think you were living more in the moment than you were planning for the future in school oh yeah ne ne never thought about oh when I grow older I want to be other than being a, maybe a famous sports star footballer snooker player I loved snooker at the time um, which is a real like old man sport <laughs> but I don't know why but I enjoyed watching snooker I enjoyed football going to football matches so there's there was the dreams of that but there was never like an entrepreneurial conversation in, in classrooms, in schools about what you're going to do and uh, like dreaming big or anything like that, that we tried to bring our kids up with. I think it was pretty much the understanding was you went to school. As soon as you finished school, you'll go and get a job. Mm. This is back in the, so I left school in 1991. Okay. Uh, I was 16 years old. I was the day my GCSEs re uh, got released. I was working in a local factory. I'd got a job. As soon as my exams were done, I got a job. I was earning 300 pound a week, working quite a lot of hours in a factory, earning money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's the kind of culture there was that you were brought up to, to go to school and then crack on, get on, get a job, get some work done. So I didn't do sixth form, didn't do university. Okay. Would you think, if you were to go back to school now, do you think you would have gone the same way as you did before? As you would have lived more in the moment and not really plan for the future. I definitely wouldn't change the fun aspect of what I did at school. Right. Um, definitely not. And when I say fun, I'm not on about like being unruly. I'm talking about just general banter, good times, having a good laugh with some little lads. Um, and being in boys' school as well for three years, it is literally, it's, it is just a man's world for three years. Right. So... Um, like at the end, at the end of school, one of the funny things my, my wife always laughs at me about is most of my friends though, they would go straight from Brookfield, as you know it now, 
They go straight from school, get on the bus, go straight into town, and like the clash with the girls, like there was all the girls coming out of the girls' school in town, oh, and all right. the boys would go. Whereas I, I would, I would just much rather just go home, and I don't know. That was that was me. It sounds really boring, but I was enjoying life. I was enjoying. Yeah, life. each to their own. That's not yeah. a problem. Yeah. So you left school. You uh, worked in a factory. How did you end up working at a church or for the church? Wow. So yeah. So long story short, I guess. So my family is quite unrecognizable now, and I'm not here to talk like all about them and this transformation that happened. But I wasn't brought up to go to church. Um, that wasn't something that was part of our lives at all. So if you can imagine my parents, early 40s, um, my dad was a, he worked in an engineering, he worked for a newspaper company in engineering. So my dad was part of the drinking culture, gambling culture, smoking culture. That was his world. He went to work, earned his money and spent it on relevant things. As a child, how did you perceive that? I just thought it was normal. You just think it's normal. It's just what every other every other dad must do. Right. Um, I obviously some of my friends, their dads did dif- different jobs, but I just think that's that was like that's the way it Typical is. Typical stuff, yeah. So my dad on, I'd go with my dad on a Sunday to go and see my grandparents. His dad, uh, he'd take him to the pub. He'd come back from the pub in the afternoon, fall asleep on the floor. At the time, I used to just think my dad had got a serious sleep issue, but now I realise. It wasn't a sleep issue. It just had quite a lot to drink, <laughs> and uh, he'd fall asleep in front of the fire. And uh, so that that was that was like that was the way it was. Yeah. Um. So, going back to your question, which just remind me what you were saying. So, because you said your dad was obviously you weren't um, a religious family at all. Oh yeah. So about church, I was getting distracted there. That happens. Um. So, but then my mum and dad ended up getting, uh, they, they got engaged with a church activity, okay. the best way to put it. And it completely revolutionized my mum and dad's life. Um, they engaged with what we would class, engage with faith. Um, they ended up going to church, both making commitments to become Christians. And I saw a massive, um, I mean, a huge difference in my parents. Um, my mum started to have confidence. She never had confidence. She struggled with like her nerves ever since uh, having cancer a good number of years before. My dad went from this I kind of what would be classed as a bloke's bloke to being this unrecognisable character, really, where his life completely changed wow. for the better. Um, he was closer with us as kids, more time with his family, more time with his uh, with my mum. Um, so it was a huge change, which obviously is like an 11 year old boy. I, my dad said to me one particular Sunday, will you come to church? Let's, well, I think we should go to church. How old were you at this point? I was like 10, 10 to 10 to 11 years old. Okay. The big challenge was at the time NFL was on TV on a Sunday night on six o'clock on channel four every week. <laughs> and I really got, it was new to, it was new to the, the country at that time, really. So I used to love watching Miami Dolphins. I got into it. I understood American football. And church, ironically, in the evening was on at six o'clock. Oh, gosh. I'm torn. I'm like, I'm beat up. I'm torn because my dad's now saying, this thing that you've enjoyed doing, we're now going to go to church. And any of your viewers now that maybe don't engage with church, if you said to them, hey, this week, do you want to go to church? 
it you straight away there's a preconceived idea what it's going to be. Yeah. You just think it's going to be boring, it's going to be cold, it's going to be dull, don't really want to go. It's all those kind of emotions. So we went um and it was I was like, wow, this is something I've never like I didn't think church would be like this. It was really I guess it was a happy place, a lot of people there packed in on a Sunday night, all sorts of age age groups. Went up, went a couple of times, and one particular week, I remember, I distinctly remember this guy speaking about fear. And what you've been dealing with. Yeah, and it was my big thing, and I was like, wow, this guy is like talking about me. He described it, he described being upstairs on your own, he described uh, about the, the thoughts, the feelings you have, and he introduced people on that evening, the way part of his talk to the fact that in those circumstances... God is always with you. You just need right. to accept him, accept Jesus. And and that was a decision that I made personally that evening without asking my parents or it was just my own decision. Um, and, it, and it has changed my life 30, 35, 34 years later. Wow. Um, I started going to youth group at church, which was a bit of a change for me because I was involved at that time in Cubs and Scouts and stuff like that, which all my other friends were. Start going to a youth group. I really enjoyed being part of that. And my youth leader at the time said, why don't you help me out do some schools work? So I was like 15, 16, just about to do my GCSEs. And one particular week, I went with him. Now, this is a, this just after I finished my GCSEs. I went with him back to my old school, which was now Brookfield School. There's all my teachers stood around the side of the hall and there's a thousand, nearly a thousand kids in there. Um, or gathered all the way around and I took part did school assembly he says you're great at this like people start to say you've got a bit of a, a gift a bit of a talent um, so I just started getting involved I got involved in my youth group I became a leader and that's and now was there no fear of you when you started no fear in you know saying oh I'm not too sure I want to do this or I'm not too sure I, you know I don't feel comfortable doing this or I think Every every time, so even even talking to you tonight, fear comes fear comes back to me. So I don't tell people, I don't walk around, which is where I think people go wrong in society. We're always expressing our feelings all the time to people, and it almost makes you feel like saying, "Oh, hold on a minute, here comes the guy with all the fear. Don't talk to him." Right. So so for me, it happens to me every time I do something that is a little bit on the edge. Um. So whether it be speaking in church, a church service, um, doing stuff like this, I don't know, being on YouTube, whatever, this like fear thing comes back to me and it's, and it's learning, I guess, I've learned to, to handle it. So I remember that day we drove to school, 16, nearly 70 years old, drove to school, went into the car park and I was like, what am I doing? Like there's going to be all my old school teachers in there there's going to be kids that knew me from last year and I'm going to go up there and tell them a little bit of something about what my belief is about God and have a bit of fun at the same time, make myself look a bit foolish in front yeah. of people. And it just, it rises up, fear. And fear, all I've discovered over the years is fear will stop you from achieving your dreams. Um, it's not usually people that will stop you. It's the fear of people that will stop you, for instance. So when you were there, what were you scared of? What was what you making? Oh, image, yourself? image. What people think of you, what people are going to say about you afterwards. 
what do you teach? I mean, your teachers, even though I've left school, and you kind of think, it doesn't matter, but what would what would they think about me? Yeah. Um, your your image. I think I think people's image is far more. Um, the image conversation is far more destructive than what we actually think. Like we all actually have this. I don't mean just what we wear, but what people think of us. I think it just stops people from doing what they really want to do in life. What will somebody say if, um, and I'm sure you will have had some of these feelings like in doing these podcasts. Right. Like what will some of my mates think when they see it? Do they think it's naff? Do they think it's cheesy? Do they think it's a bit irrelevant? Who are these? Do you know what I mean? What, is, what did he have the bald-headed guy on for? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like all these thoughts, but you what what you're doing is brilliant is the fact that you're just saying no i'm i'm giving this a go and that's exactly what i did that day in that assembly i came away from it i don't know whether i was elated or i don't know scared stiff but i came away and just thought that was brilliant i loved it and i just wanted to i wanted to do something with the rest of my life that would impact relate to people impact people and that's that's what i'm doing to this day that's why i do church isn't for a job I do it because I want to make a serious difference in the community. So fast forwarding that a bit. So you've been working at the church for X amount of years. So how did that actually start? So obviously you were helping the the local um, youth pastor at the time. But then obviously it got to a point where you weren't working at the factory anymore. You were working at church. When did that crossover happen? So I got got jobs. As soon as I left school, any young person who's watching this, I think it's important to get a job as soon as you can or to earn some income Um, because I wanted to put something back into home as well. So I started giving a little bit of money at home towards the the running of the house. Do you think it is important? As Like you said, you said you'd definitely recommend a young person to work straight after school. Why do you think that is? Uh, the value, I think the value of money, I think as a young teenager, you know, we just point the trainers, we want them, we want for our birthday, want for Christmas, but there's a point where you have to learn the value of things. Um, and I think also for the respect for the parent, guardian, carers that are looking after you, I think it's, it's part of the honor of your guardian parent that you actually give something back to them, uh, that they can do, you know, obviously yeah. it got spent on food and stuff. But that was important for me. I really wanted to do it. Um, I think working hard is an ethic. I want my kids, people on the teams that work with us, I don't want to be shy of hard work. Um, I think people should be paid right. But I think what's really important, what's really, really important is that people have an understanding that money, it does cost, It is it is powerful, it does cost. Um, so yeah, so I got a job, worked in a supermarket, um, I worked in a garden center, in a cafe, I went to college at the same time as well, I did three years, I trained to be a chef, qualified chef, Chef. so I did, did hotel management and catering, all that, all that kind of stuff, because I had this new dream that I'd be like, I could own a hotel, that's something I'd love to do still to this day, I just love serving, so if you can get understand like being in school and doing an assembly or working in church or even even in a supermarket, I just love serving people. I could literally do it. Why? Why is that? I don't know. What joy do you get from giving to others? Uh, the joy I get from giving to others is doing things well, doing them to a high standard, 
treating people like I feel they should be treated. Um, I always remember the the golden rule is whatever you, whatever you want people to do to you, make sure that's what you do to them. And that's what was ingrained into me as a young teenage lad, that the way I treated other people was reflected of how I wanted them to treat me. Right. So if you came to church today and said, make me a coffee, I love making coffee, like good coffee. <laughs> like I can make you probably the best coffee any of your viewers will have ever had. I Hold would be able to make second. that. Um, just, you know, I might as well put it out there. But I would make it the best that I possibly could, even though I'd be rushed to make the drink because I've got another appointment straight after this, for instance. I'd do it the, to the best. And that's because in time to come, there'll be a point where I need you probably to serve me or there might be a point where I want you to look after me or, and your, inst your initial thought will be, I remember the way he looked after me many years ago. And still to this day, I meet young people, people on the street that will sit, they'll stop and talk to me and say, I'll never forget the day you, and whatever that is. Wow. And I, I, I don't think that's anything about me. I think that's more about how life should be. Definitely, definitely hear you on that. So you mentioned that you work in, you did a chefry, you in a supermarket, and then you made the switch to full-time at church. How, so what, yeah. so what happened was, so what happened was I was working, I was working in the supermarket and I was at college. So I'm on my third year at college. I'm doing well at college as well. So we'd just done a big event for Mercedes, the college ad. So we did this huge event where Mercedes had got all these new buyers and potential customers in this huge conference area. We were doing all the catering. I was running like the, the floor, as it were, making sure the operation went really well. Straight after that, that particular evening, that function, it went really well. It was high class. Um, I remember a lecturer coming to me and he said to me, listen, there's an opportunity to work at Chatsworth House. Okay. Um, which is a local stately home that some of you will be aware of. And it was to be, to basically to train to be a butler, um, but to be involved in like living accommodation in Chatsworth House, blah, blah, blah. Lots okay. of, lots of quirky things to it so there was an interview and the day that the interview was I also had a school assembly to go and do oh. so I had a choice to do I either went and did the school assembly which lasted for 15 minutes 20 minutes max or go to the the interview in the first thing in the morning and I chose I remember the day before thinking about it and I chose to go to do the school assembly so that was the crossing point for me it why was is a, that? um I think it's not necessarily what I wanted to do. I think it's what I thought I should, I needed to do. Why? Um, because surely somebody watching this will think, hold on a second, you can always reschedule the school yeah, sure. event or you can get somebody else to fill in for you. But obviously this is um, it's a job interview that, you know, you're not, not sure that I can rearrange for you and somebody else might take the position that you're going for. So why do you think that you decided I think to? there's something, there's a mantra that I try to live by that I'm living for a greater cause than myself. Okay. So what I did were in that moment, I demoted myself to second place. Right. And uh, my faith in God, that was promoted to first place. So what I was basically saying in that day is I want to do what, I'm trying to make this really simple to understand, but I want to do what God wants me to do, not just what I want to do. 
And you felt that calling on that day. So, so for me, in that moment, I didn't feel a sense of, I have to do this. I felt a sense of, this is what I need to do. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So you demoted yourself because, like you said, there's a higher cause than you, which you felt you should be doing instead of what you... So, so you in my do. life now, I'm not the number one priority. Because... Because because I think I think for all of us I think we get we get caught up in living for self, and you weren't none of us were this would be like another another de- sorry this would be another debate or another conversation we should have but we weren't designed to look after ourselves implicitly like okay. just us but ultimately we were born and created to to serve God and I think the searching for purpose that a lot of people have is because the purpose is usually about self and while ever that's there it will at times it'll fall it'll break we'll get disappointed with it because our dreams our aspirations don't work out the stock market falls i lose my job i get put on furlough all these scenarios that we're all being facing right now the disappointment comes then we feel like we're not achieving but actually like in this season, which has been really difficult for, for my family to adjust to, the way we view it is that we're serving God's purposes, though. So we'll, we'll just carry on trusting. So I demoted myself, so it's no longer about me and what I want to do. Because if I, got, if I did my own thing, one, I would make a mess of it. And secondly... Why do you make a mess of it? Because as humans, that's what we do, don't we? We okay. make a mess of things. Yeah. Um, we were chatting before this about other scenarios where people end up serving themselves and they make a mess of it. Right. And you know, and I'd be happy for anybody to, to come and reflect back to you. If you've got a que- if anybody's got a question about this kind of stuff, like to get back to you and, you know, maybe we could ask some more specific questions about it. But I think there's a real joy and peace when you can serve a bigger cause than yourself. That's, that's probably... <laughs> I don't know if this is answering what you want me to. Uh, no, exactly. I'm, I'm. I had no set answer to expect. I just want to see what you'd say, and obviously you're giving your your take on things. So the way the way I view it is, I've had an utter blast this last twenty twenty eight year twenty seven years, like serving in church. Like it's been. I've had some. I was talking to my kids the other day. I've literally seen so many things around the world. But if you knew where I started off, I started off at work. I'm not going to money too much. But when I first took a part-time job on the church, I was on very, very little money. Not because the church was poor or not because people didn't appreciate me. It was just the way it was. I was on very little money on a part-time wage. But boy, I, I was amazed the other day. I reminisced of where God has taken us to, used us in life. It's unreal. My kids were like, "Have you been to this country?" I was like, "Yeah, I've been there, been there, did that." <laughs> and it's all the it's all the time. It's been most of the occasions have been through serving other people, like maybe what you might call mission trips, and obviously some holidays and stuff. Um, if your life has become more fulfilled through serving others, I feel fulfilled, but I'm not the I'm I'm not doing it to please myself. And and I I just think that that equation is is an amazing amazing thing when you can. When you can give your best, as I've talked about, you give your best, but for an, a greater cause than yourself, I think the 
that plus that equals real peace, real joy. Lots of stress, lots of heartache, lots of challenges as well. I'm not saying it's just been like a, we've just been floating along the water. There's been some really tough, challenging times that I could keep you yeah, hours okay. chatting about. Um, but ultimately, I think that equation, the more I think about it now, is like, is gold. Gold. <laughs> so when was the, because there was a time where, because you're now currently the, the pastor of the church. Yeah, I'm called a pastor of the church, which is another word for, like an, and it's an older fashion word, but it's another word for like a shepherd. So in okay, so what's years the difference by, between um, a pastor and a vicar? Because if I say, oh, it's I don't have to wear a collar. A collar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's, I, I guess it's. So it's oh, are you, I don't know. There's the vicar, but then say no, that's pastor. Well, some people, some people, if you a restaurant close by and stuff, they they actually call me the vicar. Yeah. I think, which is tongue-in-cheek. But I guess people see church leader, that's just the language, is is a vicar, um, local vicar. Whereas, I guess, I guess from... I'm just trying to think of the best way to explain it for people and not make it too quirky, but lots of denominations in the Christian faith and different denominations give different, different titles parties. for the church leader is probably the best way without getting too theological about the whole thing. Sure. So you had the transition from, you know, working part-time to working full-time. But then within the past eight or ten years, you became the actual main leader. How eight years ago, yeah. Eight years ago this weekend. Wow. So how did that transition happen? And how did you know that that was your calling? Uh, yeah, so I had, I've, I've had some other pastors in the life of the church that I've served. Um, I've tried to do that to the best of my ability as well. And about nine years ago, the pastor at the time, Pastor Jim McGlade, he was here. He'd done a great job. I got, and he approached me and just said, look, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you and your wife, Sarah, be be happy to take this on as, as you know, the future of it? And I, rem I remember going back, and if you flick back 10 minutes ago in this interview, 15 minutes ago, fear stepped in straight away understandably and made its little request to me that like <laughs> um you're not capable like it'll all go belly up if you do it so so the whole fear thing we had to do i had to i probably more than sarah my wife had to deal with that um deal with fear went away thought about it prayed about it asked god what if he really wanted for our lives still because if it was to be here it was meaning a serious commitment probably for us of at least 15 years, more of our lives in Chesterfield. So at that point, it was another crossroads point for us really to say, do you want us to stay in Chesterfield or shall we, or shall we go to the big city? Cause I thought like, Chesterfield is the big city. <laughs> well, you don't believe the truth that Chesterfield is the big city. Hey, hey, You're chasing this dream of like some, some other thing and then you've ended up in... I don't, anyway. Um... <laughs> I've been too personal there. So yeah, so that was another crossroads for us really. Um, we both felt it was right. We were like, if we've got opportunity to take this church forward into this next, you know, this next decade and really give it a good go and for our kids' benefit as well, we're going to give this everything. We're going to give it our best. So it was a crossroads. We looked left, we looked right and we went straight on. Wow. We went straight on. We were like, this is it. We, we could have done other things, but this is like, we're going to give it everything. And uh, we've, we've put it all on the line. 
So the church name changed. We changed, uh, transitioned the church name, which seemed like a big thing at the time, but now it's not really a big decision, I guess. From um, what to what? It was called, at the time, if you're from Chesterfield, you can remember this, but it was called Zion. Zion Assemblies of God Church. And I'm only just saying this with due respect to the years gone by. It was relevant then, maybe. But for us, we needed a brand that we could talk to people about with confidence. And so we called it Lifehouse, or as you might know it, LHC, Lifehouse Church. And so Lifehouse is what it is because we felt that church was a house, it was a home, and we wanted it to be full of life. And I genuinely think if you came to visit our church, if anybody came to visit it on a Sunday at 11 o'clock or 5 o'clock on when, we, when, we'd used to have, when we used to have physical services, um, I genuinely think people would come out and think, I'm not sure about maybe some of the things they said, I'm not sure they believe it all, I'm telling you what, it was a good vibe in there and we also drink good coffee as well after church because we've got a cafe